Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. Well, it's good to be together. Um, Today we come to the end of our series that was entitled The Church, Its Purpose and Why It Matters. And we've talked about a lot of really important things, seeking to lay down a foundation in our church of good ecclesiology. That is the study of the church. What are we here for? What's our purpose? What is the church? Anyways, we've asked so many of these questions and we're seeing God work. And I want to talk to you today about one final thing that doesn't necessarily fit within ecclesiology, but I think it's very pertinent. I want to talk to you about both the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, giving, giving in the church. The title of the message is, What's Up With Giving? What's up with giving? You hear us often make these announcements. Now it's time to give. You hear this from time to time, that it's time to give generously and cheerfully and sacrificially. And I want to help bring some clarity. I want to bring some instruction from God's word to our church as we wrap up this series on the church. What's up with giving? What is it all about? Someone once said, it's possible to give without loving. But they go on to say, it's impossible though to love without giving. That if we were to understand, really understand, really have a grasp on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that right at the core, at the center of the gospel, we find a God who gives. And all who have received this gospel, all who have received the grace of Jesus Christ, in fact, give not only their heart, but subsequently, their whole life. That's what the heart is. It's everything. It's all that we are. And that includes our money. On the screen for you is John MacArthur who wrote this. How people view money, listen to this, is an effective barometer of their spirituality. Or I'd add the state of their heart. He says money is neither good nor bad in itself. Corrupt people can put it to evil uses while good people can put it to righteous uses. Though it is morally neutral, what people do with their money reflects their internal morality. In the words of Jesus, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How people view money and giving and offering in the church is an effective barometer of their spirituality. Now, this is an important subject in scripture. Jesus talks a lot about money. So as a preacher, I'm not ashamed to talk about money because I'm just following in the example of our Savior and what much of God's word has to say about it. Now, maybe you've been here in this church and you haven't really thought about this question. Who supports the church? Is there some organization out there that funnels money into the church so that the ministries can go on, so that the gospel can go on, so that the leaders can go on, so that the staff can go on? 
Is there some outside source of resourcing? I want you to know, in case you're wondering, there is not. Who supports the church? Who supports the work of the gospel moving from the church? It is us. It is us. It is all of us. It is through our giving. It is through our worshipful offerings that the ministry of the church advances and the gospel advances so that we can stand here and celebrate and rejoice to see people in the waters of baptism who have moved from death to life so that we can reach out to people who don't have anything, who don't have any knowledge of the gospel like we did this past Saturday going into homes of people ministering on behalf of the Pregnancy Care Center and bringing resources and love and the gospel. It is, it is we who support the church, all of us. And so our understanding of the gospel, compelling our understanding of what it means to give, compels then and fuels the effectiveness and the strength of not just our church, but churches everywhere. There's no one out there saying, hey, Hope Church, here's some money. It's from within as an act of worship. It's through our giving. And so money is an important subject. Giving is an important subject. And it's ultimately, I want you to understand, as we'll see in the text of Scripture, it is ultimately a matter of, of the heart, and that means that Christians, and I'm calling you specifically in this church, Christians in Hope Church cannot afford to ignore the widespread spiritual heart disease that exists in churches and even in our church that is evidenced by the tight-fisted, self-centered, pleasure-seeking, comfort-advancing, legalistic ways we often view and handle money. Do I have your attention yet? As I said, the title of today's message is this, What's Up With Giving? I want you to take your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to read verses 1 to 9, and then we're going to go later to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 to 4. If you don't have a Bible, you can put up your hand, and one of the ushers on either side would love to put a copy of God's Word into your hand. And if you don't own one, that Bible will be our gift to you. Please take it home and read it and have your life changed by the word of God. What's up with giving? Well, Paul gives us some beautiful, beautiful words pertaining to this and the heart of giving in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 9. And then, as I said, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 4 to find some clear instructions for us in our church today. And I pray with faith and believe with faith that our church will be strengthened, your heart will be strengthened as a result of what we do here today. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting from verse 1. This is what Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says, this. We want you to know, brothers, about, notice it, the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then by the will of God to us. 
Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Today we're simply going to walk through these verses verse by verse and see a clear section of Scripture on the discipline of giving. And then we're going to close, as I said, by the end, at looking at some clear instructions and implications for us today. Here we have a clear description and model for giving based on what the Apostle Paul witnessed among the churches in Macedonia. So what did he witness? Well, he witnessed hearts that gave generously and sacrificially and joyfully. We're going to expound on it. Here's our first thought, Get, getting started with this. The heart that gives, and Lord, may you give us hearts that give. The hearts that, that give, the heart that gives is amazed by grace. Amazed by grace. Notice verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about, notice it, the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. The grace of God, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, underneath and inside of every conversation we have about giving is the compelling factor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The heart that gives is amazed by his grace. And this is the thread that runs throughout our entire text today. And it is the resounding and compelling theme of the heart that gives. Where you find a generous heart, you find a heart that is amazed by the grace of Jesus Christ. Where you find a stingy heart, you find a heart that has no conception of the grace of Jesus Christ, or at least a heart that has forgotten about the grace of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul here wants the church at Corinth to know about the abundant generosity of the churches in Macedonia so that the church in Corinth could follow their example. And the way he chooses to talk about this is in terms of grace. Grace, you see, the church in Jerusalem was needy. The saints in Jerusalem were needy. And the Apostle Paul is witnessing to the fact that the churches in Macedonia gave to meet that need, and he is asking the church in Corinth to participate in the same way. How does he compel them to participate? He compels them by grace. He doesn't say they gave because they felt they had to give. He doesn't say they gave because they felt that they'd get in trouble if they didn't give. He doesn't say that they should give because they had a lot of extra money to give. No, no. Paul says that the churches in Macedonia gave because of the grace of God that had been given to them. What does that mean? Well, it means this it means those of us who have truly been transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. Those of us who truly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
Those of us that are day by day intentionally positioning ourselves in the word of God and prayer stand in awe of the grace extended to us in the gospel. And when we do that, we become those who are compelled by that grace, amazed by that grace, in awe of that grace, so compelled that we offer all that we are and all that we have to him. And we open our hands to give freely. That's the thing I want you to see, loved ones, as the foundation of all discussions on giving or offering money to God. A heart that gives is amazed by grace. We're going to pick up on this theme later on as well. It's amazed by grace. Not amazed by RRSPs, not amazed by mutual funds or GICs, not amazed by houses or lands or material possessions. No, the heart that gives is amazed by grace. And if you want to know how amazed by grace you are, then pull out your banking app and just take a look at how you're spending your money. You say, what do you mean? Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know just how amazed by the grace of Jesus Christ you are, then look at your bank statements and see how much generosity is given, is overflowing out of your life to the work of the ministry, to the work of the Lord, to the church of Jesus Christ, to those around you that have need, as opposed to transaction after transaction after transaction after transaction towards Starbucks. It's not wrong to get a coffee from Starbucks. Don't misunderstand me. I do that from time to time. It's not wrong to buy things. Don't misunderstand me. But you get a, get a sense of where your heart is when you get an understanding of where your treasure is. And if you want to know where your treasure is, a really easy way is to look at how you spend your money. The heart it gives is amazed by grace. Secondly, the heart that gives, I want you to notice this, is not hindered by difficulties. It's not hindered by difficulties. I want you to notice verse 2. Notice what Paul says about the churches in Macedonia. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So, I just want to dispel this myth that often deceives so many of us Christians and cheats us out of the joy and blessing of giving. It's that somehow in times of difficulty, we think somehow that we're entitled to put generosity on the back burner and turn inwardly towards self-preservation. See, when we do that, we don't realize what we're doing is we're cheating ourselves out of the joy and blessing of giving. In fact, it was the Lord Jesus Christ who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I want you to see that this is not what the churches in Macedonia did. They didn't turn towards themselves, towards self-preservation in a time of difficulty. No, Paul says that it was precisely in a time of severe difficulty and suffering that they set their hearts on what? The grace of God. And instead of turning inward, they looked up and they looked out towards the needs of others. 
Now, it's no secret that for sure, many in our society are going through difficult times. We've come out of a global pandemic, all kinds of things happening around the world. You look at the gas pumps, you think, man, am I going to be able to keep doing this? You get the food prices in the grocery store, you say, am I going to be able to, to keep doing this? And, and maybe you hear what I'm saying and you say, I don't know, Pastor Jason, I, I don't know if what you're saying is wise. I don't know if in my difficulty I should just continue to be generous. Well, let me just say this. We need to be very careful often not to clothe our failure to trust God with the excuse of using wisdom. Here's the reality. Of course we have to be wise. Of course we have to be wise. Of course we have to exercise good judgment in how we prioritize spending our money. But that's not primarily what we're talking about here, I want to suggest to you. What we're talking about here is a, is a heart of trust and obedience and worship. That's what we're talking about. And what we see in the churches in Macedonia is that in a test of affliction, in severe trial, they didn't gather together and say, well, we got to be wise. Let's make sure we just, we don't, you know, church in Jerusalem, they're going to have to take care of themselves. No, they're going to have to be, they're, they're, like, they'll, they'll figure it out. God will help them over there, but, but we got to take care of ourselves over here because we have to be wise. It's not what they did. Of course, they're exercising wisdom. That's given. But most of all, they're exercising trust and confidence in the Lord as they give, and not only trust and confidence in his ability to provide, but obedience and worship, because at the end of the day, a heart that's truly been transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ is compelled to give because it's amazed at what God himself has given to us. So when hard times come, and some of us are facing those, not naive to that, some of us are facing those times. But when hard time comes, hard times come in the midst of severe trials, this is what we say. We say, we trust God to take care of us. When hard times come, we say, we trust that God will honor our hearts to honor him in our giving. When hard times come, we say, we trust God to provide for our needs. As one preacher said, as we seek to be about the things that are on God's heart, God will then be about the things that are on our heart. When hard times come, I'm not going to turn inward towards self-preservation. I'm going to be wise, of course, of course. But I suggest to you that wisdom is ultimately expressed in a heart that says, we trust you, Lord, to provide for us and to care for us. And when hard times come, we say Jesus gave his life for us, and no matter the trial, he has my whole life, including my wallet. That's the heart that gives. They're amazed by grace, not hindered by difficulties. Thirdly, this, the heart that gives, you can jot this down, is filled with joy and overflowing. The heart that gives is filled with joy and overflowing. And some of you are sitting here saying, I don't see how that could work. In a difficult time, in a financially strenuous time, 
I give so that I have less. How can there be joy in that? Well, I want you to notice what the Bible says. Notice verse 2. It says, their abundance of joy, speaking of the churches in Macedonia, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So two things that we wouldn't associate with one another, and maybe you're struggling right now internally to make sense of this. Two things we wouldn't associate with one another that the Bible associates with one another. First, an abundance of joy overflowing in a wealth of generosity and extreme poverty. You and I would say where there's extreme poverty, there's no overflowing joy of generosity. That's what you and I would say. But the Bible says where there is extreme poverty, there still can be an overflowing sense of joy and generosity. That's what the mark was of this, these churches in Macedonia. The, the language here is striking. I want you to notice the paradox of Christian giving, and it is a paradox that belongs to the Christian. That even in our difficulty, even in our poverty, even in our challenging times, we can give and find joy. That physical and material poverty does not need to equal tight-fisted stinginess or fear or anxiety. But it could be the place of spiritual and eternal blessing as we give, as we express our trust in the Lord. So loved ones, for the Christian, I want you to understand why this can be true. That we can be filled with joy and overflowing with joy through generosity, ultimately, because true wealth for the Christian is spiritual and eternal. That's why. And until we truly understand this, that true wealth for the Christian is spiritual and eternal, we will never be able to experience the joy of overflowing generosity in this life. And I want you to experience it. I want to experience it. I want my family to experience it. The overflow I want you to see is not an overflow of money that Paul is talking about. He's just told us that the Macedonian churches were so poor. The overflow of generosity is pouring out of a heart that understands that true sufficiency is found in Christ. So when I understand that my sufficiency is found in Christ, that all that I ever needed is found in Christ, that, that all my, my dreams and all that I ever wanted is found in Christ, now I'm free to give and not worry. Because all that I really need is found in Christ. Even when I have nothing on this earth, I understand that my best investment is not on this earth. Christians, loved ones, lay up for themselves treasures in heaven, Matthew 6, 19 to 21. And these churches in Macedonia, they're laying up for themselves treasures in heaven. Now, let me ask you this question. Suppose someone came up to you after the service and said, hey, I got a big investment opportunity for you. Here's the opportunity. Invest your money in this thing and it will guarantee you loss in the end. Would you say, that sounds good? 
But someone else tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, I have an amazing investment opportunity for you, and it is guaranteed 100% to bear tremendous fruit for eternity, forever and ever and ever. It will bear and reap the reward. You'd probably say, ah, that's a good one, right? Well, this is what the Bible presents to us. There is a way to invest in this life as if, This is all that we have to live for. And at the end of the day, we lose everything. Or, as Jesus says, we can lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven and no one can steal those investments and those investments can never be impacted by the fluctuations of the economy or what any president or prime minister does or says. Those investments are guaranteed. See, the churches in Macedonia understood that. And when they gave out of their extreme poverty, they weren't sitting there anxious, wondering, are we going to be okay? They said, God is going to take care of us. We're investing in heaven because we're investing in God's work. You see, loved ones, that produces joy. When you prepare to give of your tithes and offerings each week, I pray that you do so with joy. I pray that you have moments where you sit there and you prayerfully consider, Lord, I want to give right now. And I want to be so generous. And Lord, I, there's some needs that I have and I'm feeling a bit anxious about it, but I want to give to you, Lord. I want to give my best to you that you would bless it. See, when you're doing that, you know what you're doing. You're laying up treasures in heaven. And God will always take care of you. See, the heart that gives is amazed by grace. It's not hindered by difficulties. It's filled with joy and overflowing. Fourthly, the heart that gives is earnestly sacrificial. It's earnestly sacrificial. I want to show you from the text a few things. I want you to notice here in verses 3 to 5. Look at it. Verse 3 says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, Paul says, of the churches in Macedonia. Now that makes sense. They gave according to their means. But notice this now. And beyond their means, Paul says. So they went in above and beyond so as to really feel the impact of their giving. Notice this now. Of their own accord. Now that's important. Nowhere in the New Testament are Is anyone twisting the arm of someone else to give? You don't see that in the New Testament. And Paul is not doing that. Paul is saying they gave of their own accord. No one is coercing them. Now, verse 4, it keeps getting deeper. Verse 4 says, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. All of this is flowing from a heart that's amazed by the grace of Jesus Christ. Why in the world are they begging to give above and beyond what they could conceivably afford? Why? Because for them it was the great privilege of their life to participate in the work of God amongst the churches. It was the great privilege of their life. Verse 5. Paul says, and this, not as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. The great apostle Paul, in some ways, is surprised by their generosity, but not really. 
he says, I understand why they're so sacrificial. In verse 5, he says, they gave themselves first to the Lord. First to the Lord. And then subsequently, the next logical step, and then by the will of God to us. See, See, that's the beauty of biblical giving. That's the beauty of giving that is characterized by joy. We give ourselves first to the Lord. All that we have is his. We give ourselves first to the Lord. And as we give ourselves to the Lord, we say, all that I am, all that I have is yours. Every part of me, use my life, every fiber of my being, every material possession I have, my house, my car, my resources, my investments, my money, anything that I have, I give it first to you. And then God so compels us by his grace and says, now I can use you. Now I can use you. Amazing. Don't miss this. I'll give it to you in a sentence. A heart that gives, gives sacrificially because it has been given completely to the Lord first and surrenders then to his will and is used powerfully in the lives of others. Or let me say it another way. A heart that gives does so according to their means and even beyond their means. That's the sacrificial piece. Even beyond their means, understanding the privilege as servants of God and others. Sacrifice. You know, for some of us, we're just getting back into the groove of things. Because for some of us, we've been out of church for Two whole years, maybe even a little bit more than that, maybe a little less. And you know what it does when, we, when we're out of church? You know what it does when we're out of the fellowship? We, we lose a lot of really foundational rhythms in our lives, and we lose a sense of what really matters so often. That's why I think it's really important that we as a church understand these things. Sacrificial is what needs to mark the giving of those who belong to Jesus Christ. No one is forcing you. No one is going to compel you, but it's compelled by Christ. No human being is going to grab you after the servant and say, what are you doing? Are you, are you giving enough? Are you giving sacrificially? No, no, it's not coerced. It's, it's a heart that's given first to God and then says, Everything that I have, I give to you so sacrificially because you are going to take care of me. And he always does. So the heart that gives is amazed by grace. It's not hindered by difficulties. It's filled with joy and overflowing. It's earnestly sacrificial. Finally, the heart that gives is Amazed by grace. You said, you said that already, Jason. Are you uh, a bit dizzy up there or what's going on? Jump down to verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become Rich. On the screen for you, Fred Craddock in his book, The Poverty of Christ, wrote this. Listen carefully. 
he wrote, the offering for the saints in Judea was for Paul a definite implication of the incarnation. It is no surprise that the discussion of the one should bring to mind the other. The offering, in fact, provided an occasion for teaching the meaning of Christology. And Christology informed and elicited the offering. Did you get that? That a discussion about giving must bring to mind a discussion about Jesus. Because of what Paul says here. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Why does Paul emphasize the grace of Jesus Christ as he instructs the Corinthians about giving? Well, it's because these two subjects are intimately connected, and our church needs to understand that. And only when we truly understand that Jesus, though he was rich in every way, gave away his riches, gave away his comforts, gave away his own life, so that we who were poor, spiritually bankrupt and destitute and homeless and hopeless, spiritually speaking, could become rich. Only when we finally understand this gospel will our tight fists quickly loosen and our greed turn to generosity and our self-preservation turn to self-denial and our entire lives, including the use of our money, will be given freely for his use. See, loved ones, giving is about the gospel. The heart that gives understands what was given so that we can have life, so that we can have spiritual riches. Giving is about the gospel. It's about grace. It's about who we serve and who we belong to. This is the heart of giving. And so I want you to be thinking about these things, and I have a bit more time left. With the remainder of our time, I want to give you several practical applications. What exactly does this look like in the local church? As we wrap up our series on the church and we tie this whole thing up at the end of this service, what does this look like for us? Well, I'm going to show you a few things, what we need to know about giving that glorifies God and advances his purposes. And would you please be in prayer for your own heart and your own family that God would move you the way he wants you to move in this area. Okay, number one, where to start? Starting point, everything belongs to God. Okay, we're going to move through these things quickly, but they are very important for us to wrap up this discussion on giving. By the way, we could do a whole series on these things, but I'm going to move relatively quickly. Where to start? This is where we start. Everything belongs to God. If you're sitting there thinking, I don't know, I'm not sure, I don't know, my money, my money, my investments, mine, my my money. Well, this is where we start. Everything belongs to God. On the screen, Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's. 
The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Everything belongs to God. On the screen, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, Paul says, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? This is the starting point. We are not owners. We are stewards. We're not owners. The money you have, the car you drive, the the house that you live in, the job that you have, whatever, all the stuff, the lands you own, the properties you have, none of that is really yours. Did you know that? Everything belongs to God. And everything God's people have has been given to us by God, not so that we can say, oh, great, this is mine. I can do whatever I want with it. No, it's given to us by God. We've received it from God to now be faithful stewards, managers of what he's given us. Amazing, amazing. Really quick on that note, I remember a friend of mine borrowed my car. And um, he, this was at the beginning of our church. We were getting ready to plant the church. And he, he said, can I borrow your car? I got to go pick up some stuff for the launch of the church. I said, sure. Yeah, I threw him the keys and he took my car. Well, he came back with my car and he walked into my office and uh, he looked like he saw a ghost. I said, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? Did they not have the stuff that we ordered or what, what's going on? He says, I'm so sorry, Jason. I said, what? What's wrong? What happened? I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. And he just kind of his head hanging low. He hands me the keys. To my car. I said, what's wrong? What, what happened? What's going on? He says, I, Jason, I'm so sorry. I loaded the stuff and then just something kind of fell and just, there's a big scratch on your dashboard. And I was like, that's okay. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. It's just a car. But here's my point. Why was he so worried? Well, he was so worried because it's not his car. He was driving my car. He had to steward that for me. He had to take care of that for me. That's the thing that he felt. And when he came back, he felt a tremendous responsibility that he took that which was not his and he damaged it. Is that how we think about what we have? It's not ours. Everything we have is God, so we should think very carefully how we use it, how we are stewarding what he's given to us. This is the starting point. Everything belongs to God. Secondly, what we need to know about giving, where to start, everything belongs to God. Secondly, this, um, when to give, when do we need to give? Here's the answer. Um, consistently, consistently. Flip over in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I'm going to have the verses on the screen, but you can look at it as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 to 2. On the screen, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 2 says this. Paul gives instructions to the church at Corinth, again, for the collection for the saints in Jerusalem. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Notice this. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside something and store it up as he may prosper so that there may be no collecting when I come. I want you to notice that Paul says, on the first day of every week. Paul says that all the churches are to devote themselves to giving financially to the work of the ministry. And here's the principle, consistently, frequently, regularly. 
Okay, you say, where do you get that from? Well, on the first day of the week indicates that there was a collection perhaps during the worship service where the church gathered on the first day of the week, the Sunday, where they would commemorate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and continue to worship on Sunday from that day forward. And Paul seems to indicate that on the first day of every week, there needs to be a regular, frequent giving. Now, for some, frequent, consistent giving may be weekly. For others, it may be bi-weekly. For others, it may be monthly. For others, it may be quarterly. It depends on how you receive your income. There's no hard, fast rule about this in Scripture. But here's the principle. When should we give? We should give consistently. And I want you to look at your life and consider your own giving habits. Do you give consistently of the first fruits of what God has given to you? It needs to happen consistently. What we need to know about giving. Where to start? Everything belongs to God. When to give? Consistently. Thirdly, this. Who should give? Who should give? The answer is this. All believers. All believers. I want you to look on the screen. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Again, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week. Watch this. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there may be no collecting when I come. In other words, everyone should give or everyone who has been touched by the grace of Jesus Christ should give or everyone who belongs to the church of Jesus Christ should give. Everyone who is being fed and shepherded and cared for and blessed through the ministry of the local church, each of you, Paul says, should participate in the collection in giving to strengthen and serve the ministry of the local church for the advance of the gospel. Did you know that? No, nowhere in the New Testament is there a coercing, is there a twisting of the arm, is there a a forcing? No. But amazed by grace, amazed by grace, Paul says, if you're amazed by grace, do what the churches in Macedonia are doing, he says earlier. We talked about it. So, What we need to know about giving, where to start, everything belongs to God, when to give consistently, who should give, all believers. Fourthly, uh, how to give, and the answer is through the local church, through the local church. 1 Corinthians 16, again on the screen, now concerning the collection for the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. You're supposed to do this too, he says. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside, watch this, and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Interesting, in the original Greek, the phrase, put something aside and store it up, it actually represents a chest or a storehouse of some kind where money and valuables are kept. And in New Testament times, these chests, these storehouses were part of the religious temples, providing a place to keep the money and valuables that were given to the Lord's work. And so the Apostle Paul's language here seems to indicate that members were to put aside their offerings in the local church, through the local church. And those offerings were to be later distributed according to the needs that arose within the church and outside the church. The biblical way then, loved ones, of giving is through the local church. Now, some of you ask, can I give to this charity over here? What about about that charity over there? And I would say, yes. Give, give generously. Go above and beyond. 
give to worthy charities, but the Bible seems to indicate that our offerings need to go through the local church primarily, entrusted into the care of qualified, capable elders who are accountable to the congregation and ultimately to God so that the work of the ministry can advance. What do we need to know about giving? Where to start? Everything belongs to God. When to give consistently? Who should give? All believers. How to give through the local church? Finally, this. How much to give? How much to give? And here's the answer. Amazed by grace, you decide. Amazed by grace, you decide. Look at it, 1 Corinthians 16 on the screen. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. Watch this now. As he may prosper. As he may prosper. So that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, in my years as a pastor, a lot of people are very concerned with this question. How much should I give? And I have found that there are probably at least two reasons why people are concerned with that question. First reason people are concerned with that question of how much to give is that they, are, they genuinely want to be obedient and faithful. and They genuinely want to give to the Lord. And they don't want to make a mistake here because they're so, their heart is set on being faithful. But there's a second reason. Sometimes people are so consumed with this issue of how much to give because we legalistically want to fulfill a duty. If you just tell me how much, just tell me how much. Tell me, is it a percentage? Is it a tithe? Is it 10%? Tell me how much so that I can pull out my calculator every time I get a paycheck and I can type it in the calculator. There's no sacrifice. There's no thought. There's no prayer. There's no, I'm just, I'm fulfilling my duty, 10%. Boom, got it. Send it to the church. Two reasons why people are concerned with how much to give. Genuinely want to be faithful or they legalistically want to fulfill an obligation. Amazing, loved ones. But the New Testament doesn't tell us how much to give. But it gives us principles that guide us. And the foundational principle is this. When you give, make sure you don't give a penny unless you're amazed by the grace of Jesus Christ in that moment. Because that's going to tell you how much you should give. Because you're going to look at your bank account, you're going to look at your family, you're going to look at what your needs are, you're going to lay it all out on the table, you're going to say, God, you gave everything to me, you gave your life to me, I, I'm alive now, I'm no longer dead, I, I can see, I'm no longer blind, I'm, I'm found, I, I'm no longer lost, and, and now Lord, I look at what I have, and, and I pray, and I consider, and now I'm not trying to just kind of calculate the pennies, now I'm like, I want to give you everything. As you prosper, as you prosper. Now, one's sacrifice is different from another's. Someone may prosper in a different way than another prospers. Some may have a very small, meager income. The way you prosper is different than one who has a large, abundant, overflowing income. And so... Amazed by grace, you look at your income, you look at how you're prospering, you look at what you have. Amazed by grace, you decide. 
Paul says on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. The answer is you choose, loved ones, in keeping with your income. Now, some have suggested that 10% is a good starting point because of the principle of the tithe in the Old Testament, although when you calculate all the tithes of the Old Testament, it's not 10%. When you calculate all the tithes of the Old Testament, it's above 30% plus the free will offering that the people gave. Now factor in. We're not in the Old Testament. Now factor in. We're in the New Testament. Now factor in. We've tasted and seen the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. Now factor in. We have a tangible example of generosity through Jesus Christ. Now factor in. If I die today, I'm going to heaven because of Jesus Christ. Now factor in the cross of Jesus Christ. And now you say, not 30%, not 40%. It's everything. You decide. As you give your life to him, you decide. As you give all your life to him. I think of the, uh, the businessman, the well-known businessman, J.C. Penney, who made it a practice, in fact, at some point in his life to give 90% of his income. You say, how, <laughs> how is that possible? How is that? I don't know. He's a smart businessman. He put things in place so that he has enough. I don't know. I don't know. But he's given himself. He's given himself. Here's the principle. Not the percentage, not the dollar amount. This is not about dollars. This is about devotion. So someone may be sitting here saying, my most sacrificial gift is $5. And God will look upon your heart. And that could be, mean more than someone else who says, I can comfortably give a million dollars. You see, it's about the heart. It's about the heart. It's not about the dollar amount. So, there's so much more we can say about these things. Maybe you have questions. What I want you to hear from my heart and from the heart of the elders is this. We care about your heart. And one way we can get a sense of the health of the hearts of our people is to look at how the people give. Now, we don't know who gives what, but we see general statistics. And from the beginning of the life of this church, I've been so encouraged that our church has been very healthy spiritually. And it's been reflected materially. What about your spiritual health? What about your heart? Are you tight-fisted, take care of you, take care of myself, take care of me, and throw some leftovers to God? Or is it like what I tell my children often, as soon as you get something, first to the Lord, Proverbs 9. The first fruits, first to the Lord, as you may prosper. I pray, loved ones, that our strength of heart may continually be seen in our generosity of heart, and that our generosity of heart may be fueled by the generosity of Jesus Christ towards us, and that in the days to come, we see, as we've always seen for the past nine years, that God will always 
take care of us. Here's the question. Will you be involved? Will it be your act of worship with us? That's the challenge as we close out this series. And I pray, I pray that God has spoken to you in some way. Let's stand together right now. And I want you to bow your head with me or close your eyes or open your eyes or lift your head or lift your hands, whatever you need to do to make sure you're in a posture of surrender and submission to God. The truth is in Matthew 6 when Jesus said, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. He also said, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve, Jesus says specifically, God and money. And so my desire for you today out of this message is that you are found to be serving God. And in your serving of God, you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Speak to me. Maybe this is a time for you right now to just say, Lord, speak to me. Am I going through the motions? Am I being disobedient in this area? Have I been too infrequent? Have I been too casual about these things? Lord, speak to me. Teach me how to be sacrificial. Teach me how to honor you. Teach me how to devote myself to you and your work so that we can see great things happen through our church. Teach us, Lord, I pray. I pray, Lord, if there are people in this place who are not givers, that they wouldn't be compelled by a preacher, but they'd be amazed by grace. I pray if there are people in this place who are, who are givers and maybe lately finding themselves anxious and burdened and worried about the state of the world, that you would give them wisdom, but give them joy as they trust you, as we trust you together. You will always meet our needs. You will always take care of us. You will always fill us with wisdom. Help us, Lord, to give our entire lives to you for your purposes and for your glory because you are worth it. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree, say amen. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.